empty office. Yeah, it's just me and you. And it's like 11.30. No, no, no. But we have to be fair to the guys. There's three of them in China right now. Yeah, they're on a studio project. Yeah. Shooting a video. Actually, five. Team of five. Maybe our biggest studio project. When we went to Japan for Adidas, oh. I think there were six of us. So got, how's it we going? We got left out. We got left out of the China team. I, they didn't want to bring us with them. I mean, what am I going to do there? <laughs> Point people around. <laughs> hey, do that, do this. But um, it's good to be back. Yeah. And started, except that you are gone again in like five days, four Sunday, days. I forget. At least Sunday for Korea and then Sao Paulo and then Peru and then New York. You know, what's weird is that, you know, I'm not, you know, the keeper of Eugene's schedule, but I've had several people ask me like, oh, Eugene is back in Hong Kong. I thought he was still traveling. And I was like, I don't know his dates. Don't yeah. ask me. It's interesting because some people think I live in LA. They're like, oh, you live in LA, right? Like, no, someone thought Alex lived in LA regardless. Huh. But if I could, I'll recap what I've been up to lately. Okay. Let's so, hear it. was in London for a project at the start of the trip. And then the latter half was heavy into making stuff. So we did a making session at Soul House. Shout out to Tom from Breaks. I've shouted, out, I've shouted him out like 50 times. <laughs> you sound bitter me. about that. He no, I just you, wanted to know that he's, he his efforts nothing. are are incredibly valuable. Yes. And if it wasn't for him, uh, yes. India from Soul House, our friend Ashley Kim rolled up with like all the Canadian homies. Cool. Yeah. It's like a Canadian contingent in London. Yes. It was kind of like that. I... You know what? I realized that I, I really, really like London. It's weird. What did you like about it? People are cool. People are interesting. People seem very educated on the basis <laughs> of. I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like you can have like an intelligent conversation. That is a clever way to put down the, the rest, rest of, of the world. world. Fuck! I'm pretentious, ain't I? Oh, man. Anyways. So we're going to get a lot of people writing in who are from London and saying, yay, Eugene loves us. And then basically everybody else. You know like, what oh, it thanks, is? man. I'm trying to figure out what it is. Maybe. And honestly, you have to be a little bit careful of the bias and who you hang out with. But I feel as though British people have a sense of honesty to them. Like, you know, how self-deprecating mm. humor is something that I think is a very nuanced thing. It's mm. like you have to have awareness and confidence mm -hmm. and on top of that like self-deprecating humor is understanding the social context mm -hmm. and i remember reading this article uh, a while back not that long ago but it was really talking about the social classism between america and great britain and basically how in america people don't want to acknowledge the fact they've gotten ahead because of classism whereas in the uk like if you're posh you like recognize that and, like it is what it is like they don't try to sugarcoat it it's interesting it's i mean healthier. i don't i haven't lived in the uk for an extended period of time and i think london is london i don't think london is representative of the whole of great britain which i think a lot of people will be quick to tell you the same thing we understand about big cities in the states right yes yeah it's not representative of the whole picture hong kong is hong kong though yeah <laughs> sorry um yeah, so you were in London and then you came... Wait, you were somewhere else before that. I was in Tokyo. Yeah, briefly. Yeah, I was in Tokyo for a little bit. You hung out with the Trent people. Oh, yeah. That was so random. Just... But awesome, which is I was, dope. So I, we I used had a Trent. Meeting. Yeah. So Trent, if you guys aren't familiar, this is a totally unpaid shout out. 
But Trent, if you want to uh, sponsor this. If only, if only we could be like at this point, you can go to Trent.com slash Megan for 15% off your first month. Uh, I wish. I only wish. Anyways, Trent, anyway. Trent is like this AI powered transcription service that we use. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do sometimes is, I mean, a good example would be like, hey, Sharice and I are doing this podcast and we could run the final product through Trent and then it would just spit out a relatively accurate yeah. transcription. Yeah. And actually we talk about making transcripts available on the site in a later date and probably a big part of that would be through using Trent. Yeah. Our goal and... I think I can talk about this because they did sort of speak about it openly at, at the office is like they have this sort of like Trent player that will do sort of like a karaoke style follow along. So the text will be there and you can embed this player. As you're listening? I mean, it's no different than when you're listening on the actual service. You know how like it'll like oh, highlight it. Right, right, right. It's oh, like no, that. that's cool. But they, I didn't get a chance to check it out. They definitely... Welcomed me with open arms, gave me some swag, yeah. coffee mug, t-shirt, yeah. some mints. That was kind of cool. It was so random because the spot I was in, second home, is it's like this workspace, but it feels like a movie set from the 70s in a good way, like not cheesy. Okay. Right? I mean, if you saw the the making stories, you might have you might have gotten a glimpse of it. So I was in this meeting room and it's all encapsulated by glass. Mm-hmm. And then I as I'm leaving, I look behind me and Oh, what the heck? There's like a big Trent sign there. That's kind of like a small world. But the sign was too small for it to be like a sticker, right? Okay. So like, oh, this is like probably their office. So I went in and they're all eating lunch around the communal table in the middle of the room. And I was like, knock, knock. Is this Trent? I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I use your guys' service all the time. It was it's kind of weird. And they got super excited. I did not know that that's how that happened. I actually thought you somehow no, arranged... Yeah. To meet these people. No, I just happened to be in that space at the time and that's how it happened. Oh, that's so cool. For me, next week is a bit crazy, is a bit of a whirlwind because we agreed to do this, I don't know what to call it, pop-up slash art show slash live radio um, event, five-day event at um, a gallery at a shared space with some of our friends, okay, 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 and the Yeti guys. So I'm going to be doing live radio. Well, live is a loose term because we're not doing streaming. but Live-ish. Live-ish. It will be live in the store. If you happen to be in Hong Kong and want to come through Central. Um, Actually, there's you, a lot of people that are going to be in town. You can hear my voice in town, live. I'll sound about 85% as intelligent as I do on making it up because there'll be no editing. We're a fraud. Yeah. Just, I mean, everyone knows, right? Like, Sharice called me out. Done she was like, this. yeah, you were kind of nervous during your, because there's I, a recording of the making session from Soho. Actually, slash, I didn't say nervous. Nate said you look nervous. Nate I was nervous. nervous. I thought I was fine. And then I realized the room was like packed with people. But what made you nervous? Well, I didn't really have like a script. And I also was going to use a small TV to just kind of have pointers to kind of ease us into the topic. Mm. Yeah. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll live. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do this. All right, let's let's get going. I don't think we do this very often, but I have picked a topic that was not shared in our weekly briefings. And it's because this episode of a podcast was really fascinating to me. And I've been kind of thinking about it since 
listening to it. I shared it in the Slack and I've, I've been talking about it with friends. There's this podcast called Invisibilia produced by NPR. Have you ever listened to it? Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah, Invisibilia, of course. Oh. Sometimes confuse Invisibilia and 99% Invisible. Oh. Like they have some similarities from a zoomed out point of view, mm-hmm. maybe not like topically, yeah, but... some similarities. So I'm it's, not that good at differentiating hosts unless I've listened to a ton of them. Yeah, no, me neither. Like host voices. Yeah. Yeah. So Invisibilia is a show about invisible forces that shape human behavior, essentially our thoughts, our beliefs, our expectations. So things that guide the way people act that aren't tangible, right? All of those kind of things. And this one episode was about a reality TV show that was UN backed and held in Somalia in 2013. And it was called Inspire Somalia. And essentially it was American Idol, but in Somalia. And the reason that this is like groundbreaking is because up until that point in time, Somalia was um, racked by clan warfare, oppression by extremist groups like Al-Shabaab. And if you sang in public, you could be put to death. Yeah. Like there, there were penalties for creative expression, yeah. essentially. Like those things were banned in the country prior to this point. So at this point, there is a UN-backed government that's been elected, but the government is pretty weak. Like they don't have a... Ton of power. They don't have a ton of power. They don't really have trust from the general population. Everyone basically is still living in fear of, you know, the, these extremist groups, like in fear that they might lose their lives for saying and doing the wrong thing. So the UN wants to change, well, the UN slash the Somali government, they want to change that. And they come up with this idea to hold a reality TV show like American Idol. And it's all based on this concept, which is why I want to talk about it. And I think you would find fascinating as well. It's all based on this concept that you can change people's perceptions of normality without actually changing the situation. You can change it just by working towards changing the perception itself. Like the reality TV show. It's just like normalization, right? But without like actually changing what's normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Basically, you're trying to get people accustomed to the situation as being normal. Yeah. So the reality TV show, the reason why it is actually kind of genius is because the show itself gives these, communicates these ideas of like voting, right? Fairness, you know, like you can vote for who wins. You know, it shows... There are opportunities in the country and it shows that you can be creative and flourish and people will like applaud that, right? But it was just mind-boggling to me to consider... So is this show considered negative or is it considered positive? Inspire Somalia? The outcome is considered positive. Yeah, the outcome is considered positive. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't even get to that. Right, because this happened already. This is a thing that happened in the past and the outcome is considered positive. Like Somalian citizens showed up to be contestants and generally well the way the show pitches it is that it was effective they achieved what they set out to do it's just thinking about how they didn't make concrete changes in the city like a concrete change might have been um hiring police you know like hiring more police and putting them in visible areas and that would, you know, have said to do something to control crime, right? So that's like a concrete thing. But instead, this is like a much softer influence. Yeah. Right. This is just changing 
this is just working to affect the way people see themselves. Yeah. And that is sort of the the most interesting thing about humanity in general, right? Like how do you rally around a thought or an idea? Mm-hmm. If you get enough people to buy into it, that to me is the one thing that it's been used in evil ways over the course of human history. But there are ways to integrate it into, obviously, as you've seen, like a positive light. And I think that's the one thing. It's like community. At the end of the day, like community manifests itself in so many ways that the success of anything is really defined by community. If you really think about it, like if you don't have sort of this mass adoption by a group of people that are passionate about the the cause at hand, what do you really have? You don't have anything. Anytime something good or bad happens, like what what generates the impact? It's like a lot of people were passionate about a cause to, to rise to the occasion and let themselves be heard and or, you know, something actionable happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I wonder, like, having said that, like, the, the scary part of it all is how do you optimize for community and how do you ensure you put in parameters around that optimization and that it doesn't become something that is used in the wrong capacity. Right, right. Which is, Which we've is, seen it. I think that I, I don't want it. It could, this whole conversation could easily just sort of creep into where we are currently. I mean, you are kind of moving the conversation to context, like our own context, but I just want to stay a little bit longer on Somalia, which is part of the reason this is so effective is that they have never had reality TV, which means they're not immune to the power of reality television. Like they very much, like the people were affected by that, what we know to be fake, but that enhanced drama. And Somalia is interesting to look at because there's this like echo, like um, what like a concentrated effect, right? When something like this happens. And I just want to read you a quote from the podcast where uh, one of the organizers, he says, in terms of the results, he says, there is a sense of life. There's a sense of busyness or integration that is taking place. And all this is just on the sheer will of the people. They're desperate to actually move things forward and get into a better position for the country, right? And this it is like a happy ending to the podcast because it just so happens, you know, the UN and the elected government and the people are all aligned on trying to move the country forward. And they're just all getting into the same like headspace to do that. But actually what you're talking about, I know you you might not be thinking about such extreme examples, but things like Inspire Somalia kind of remind me as well of propaganda used in North Korea yeah, for a negative effect. Which I think was my immediate sort of question. Like as I asked you, is this a positive project or a negative one? Because it feels it could be very negative. Well, like the same tool and the same concept can definitely be used in a negative way. Yeah. Like the medium itself is not partisan. Like the medium itself is not slanted towards oh this is best for positive effects or negative effects it can be utilized by bad actors yeah it it is interesting too that a format can be so universal you know what i mean like the fact that reality tv and a look into the lives of people is something that every media market seems to have in some way right the format just well i think lends I, itself nicely another reason i might have been so um 
why this episode caught my imagination is I also happened to be reading The Attention Merchants by Tim Wu. Oh, yeah. And it's it's very similar topic, this same idea of capturing people's attention. And then what do you use? What do you do with that attention now that you have people's eyeballs? And it's funny because a lot of people in the book that are quoted are saying, oh, television could be really powerful if it was just harnessed for good purposes. But so much of it is rubbish. So much of it is not helpful. Yeah. And that same, that same thought can be applied to all of the tech that we allow into our lives so, now. It's so funny because a few hours ago, I just tweeted this thing off an article I read. And it was the very sort of like last concluding paragraph. The writer, Dana Boyd, was sort of writing this retort because she got a bunch of criticism about some sort of talk she gave at South by Southwest. I honestly didn't even read anything about that. I just came across this article as her sort of retort. And it was like, so the very end of her piece, she concluded with, for what it's worth, when I try to untangle the threads to actually address the so-called fake news problem, I always end in two places. One, dismantle financialized capitalism, which is also the root cause of some of the most challenging dynamics of tech companies. And two, re-knit the social fabric of society by strategically connecting people. So, and it doesn't 100% address what what we're talking about right now, but I think it does have an interesting play into the connections we're creating with people and the motives behind those connections we're creating have been used in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. What we deem to be the wrong way anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, well, again, this the episode is hinged on the human fact that we humans behave how they be- perceive other people to be behaving normally. And it's very hard for as immune as we might think we are. It's very hard for us to resist that. I perceive that everybody else in this office thinks wearing black every day is the most normal thing. Then I'm more likely to do that. Which you did yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and which a lot of us do every day. And people seem to point out. This is a small scale thing, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? It's interesting because like what Dana Boyd is suggesting, like intentionally connecting people. It's And what you were saying earlier about like optimizing for community. While I understand the intention behind you and Dana Boyd say, making those statements, I'm just really aware that community can go wrong very easily. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. Like, how do you, how do you ensure that connecting people leads to the I results you're you hoping for? Because as it currently stands, like it, it always comes back to the, the stupid algorithm, you know, like underlying premise behind an algorithm is still human influenced. And if it's there and it kind of removes the one thing that humans are unique in the sense that they have like an emotional pulse to them. So you can't just take that out of the mix because what a human believes to be correct, even what maybe how I live my life, some people think is totally wrong, right? So I don't think that it's a problem that can be solved. I really don't like, I, usually you kind of have some sort of like glimmer of hope, but I don't think you can really solve that. What is the exact problem to solve? The problem of doing good. I mean, that's a super, super lofty, like zoomed out and like probably not even a problem we're solving in some ways. Because I, I, well, I don't know. That's a really defeatist attitude on my own behalf. It becomes like a philosophical battle because like, 
why is my perspective of what is good the right one? Mm-hmm. Or is it by virtue because I've put in the legwork? Can't really get a, this sort of like expert education in community betterment. But is, if that, but if there's some sort of credible measure, then yeah, you could be in a position. Is the problem that I don't think the problem that we're trying to solve is doing good. I think the problem we're talking about is often when you get people together, once people are speaking to each other and sharing their feelings and, you know, getting into that same headspace, it seems to skew extremist or it seems to be, it seems to skew towards imbalance. And I guess what we're trying to do here is how do you prevent the misuse and abuse of power? I didn't set out to introduce this topic to propose a solution to that problem. Mm, Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was like talking to some guy the other day and he was like, how do you remove the human element out of it? I don't know if you want to, but it's like the decision-making side of it. How do you remove the human element? I don't think you can. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think there's a sort of like uh, a proposed discussion around how do you integrate technology in a way to do it. And while it has tried to do it, what I find interesting is that I truly believe that Facebook was trying to run a profitable company before it was trying to be a bad actor. I think it's like, that's obvious. But I think that at some point in time, they lacked the the expertise because I think the expertise is, has yet to be developed. I can't tell how- if I picked a topic that organically led us to this place or if whatever topic I had picked would have still led us to this place. Of social media. No, of Facebook specifically. Because I also didn't ask you prior to being on the mic about what you thought of recent news. Yeah. Because I did think it might come up. I don't know. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wonder if we just talk with the same shit all the time. Does it feel that way? I wonder how how our listeners feel. It's such a dominant part of our lives. I mean, the Cambridge Analytica stuff is is like a dominant part of surely many people's lives at this point. Whether they they choose to acknowledge and and read up on it, it affects them. But I guess that's that's kind of the the big challenge uh, in the 21st century is... How do you how do you guarantee that good is coming from the adoption of technology? Which is not to say that it hasn't happened. It's just that you kind of need to figure out like media itself, what role is it going to play? It's interesting because media has been grossly devalued, mm-hmm. but it's more important than ever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because again, about Inspire Somalia, it is still intervention from a place of power. It's just that when you say UN, then you feel like, oh, you can trust this place of power. But there's no, you can still object and say like, hey, that's not, that's not really their role. Like who is, who is the UN to step in into Somalia and make these kind of decisions and try to influence the way people think in this way. You can still make that objection, even though the result wound up being positive, you could still say like, it was none of your business to do that. Yeah. It's such a, like a, such a messy topic. Yeah. Like there's so many different layers to it. 
It's a heavy one. Because the one thing that also crosses my mind too is as it currently stands, how do you decipher who has power to make decisions and who doesn't? And is it a sort of black and white approach to it? If one person is not really, you know, going to educate themselves on the topics at hand and just is voting out of subjectivity without any or belief in objectivity, what does that mean? So for example, like if I'm doing my best to educate myself on the topics at hand, do I have more of a value in deciding the future versus someone who has no understanding, no desire to be educated? And this is like sort of a visitation of democracy as we know it. You're suggesting something very hairy. Well, yeah. You're suggesting that you can attribute more weight to certain through merit that person has more weight in society. And I think the idea of democracy doesn't allow for that. It doesn't. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out my stance because I, 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 I personally feel like everyone should have an equal voice. But then if you're putting in the effort, then I don't get it. I don't understand why you wouldn't have more of a role to play. Because would you want would you want decisions to be made by people that are educated on the topics at hand and the challenges? Mind you, they'd probably be ones to go to the poll anyways. No, I think you have to you have to give. I cannot believe that this is where this conversation has gone. Um, no, everybody has equal voice, and I I wish we, you know, Hong Kong where we lived was a true democracy. It's not. And even if in a true democracy, everyone still wound up voting for the pro-China person, I would accept it because that would be an accurate reflection of society. Yeah. And I, I don't like... Even in the yeah, face I understand, of them being... I understand what you're saying that it seems unfair almost that the people You're okay who being are, a gracious loser basically. Well, I have to, in order to stand by democracy, I have to be a gracious loser in order to uphold the value of democracy. The second I say, oh, because I read the news, I deserve more weight. I I deserve to have more of a voice in society. Then I don't even deserve to be championing democracy. It's not a binary approach where you're saying, yo, fuck democracy, get it out of the picture. It's more about what is the hybridization of it because I, I just don't think that everything on the extremities is like necessarily the way to go about things there has to be some sort of like pick the best of of both sides i just feel like i would be more confident with you making a decision on something that concerns my community sharice than someone who who has never involved themselves in the topics at hand i understand where you're coming from but i stand but if by. there's only one person that that understands the true sort of like zoomed out perspective of the ramifications of decisions being made. Are you okay with that? And if you are, maybe that that's the answer. I, I stand by every person gets an equal say. Even while I see what <laughs> I recognize what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also stand by everyone having equal say if they do their homework. <laughs> All right, let's move on. My goodness. been a while since i've done this it feels like so my topic is 
why we don't let coworkers help us even when we need it. So this was based off an article by Harvard Business Review, HBR. And they did a recent study said to be released in the Journal of Applied Psychology that looks at workplace relationships as it pertained to helping one another. So they interviewed 238 employees. And within the poll, there was five dominant themes that emerged about why people wouldn't get help from, you know, their coworkers. And they included people wanted to be self-reliant and complete their work on their own. They wanted to protect their own image. They didn't want to feel obligated to return a favor. They didn't trust their coworkers' motives. And the last one, they believed that their coworkers were incompetent. Mm. So on top of that, they also did another survey of 500 people. And it was discovered that two-thirds preferred to finish a task by themselves. And 50% of them wanted to be seen as high potential. Mm-hmm. So despite the fact people routinely get burned out because they take too much on, it's been an interesting phenomenon. So the reason why I was so interested in this is that, as you know, over the course of the last few weeks, I've been traveling a lot. Mm-hmm. And for me to be out of office and in a distributed sort of workplace environment, it can be challenging. You know, like I need to rely on you guys yeah. to help. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that it, it did two things. Okay. It helped me understand how to potentially scale up quicker, faster. Oh, really? It did because it helped me understand that the team in itself is really good, like you guys. And also, Why, thank you. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's true. It's true. It's like there's a sense of confidence in assigning people tasks, but it's also an understanding and, and belief that if you don't allow people to grow and take on new challenges, you'll lose them. Lose them, meaning they'll be less interested in their work. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that come with that. Mm. And I always believe that as a quote unquote manager, it's like, I need to build in a plan for you to kind of rise up the ranks and take on more responsibility. Mm. And if I don't do that, then I'm, I'm failing myself. I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to be freed up to do new tasks that are arguably quote unquote more important or Mm. unique to the situation. And I'm also not allowing other people to kind of grow within the company. I had no idea that while you were traveling, you were thinking about all this stuff. It's interesting because when you travel, you have a, and you're not stuck in the day to day, you actually think a lot more existential. You're thinking like Mm -hmm, the bigger, bigger mm -hmm. picture. Yeah. Because you're not caught up in doing the actual stuff. You're always thinking and, you know, it was nice to be able to integrate. So we've been using Google chat hangouts lately, which is sort of a bit of an aside. It's still related, but it's allowing me to sort of keep tabs on a lot of things at once better than we were doing before, I'd say. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Google Chat Hangouts is the new sort of Slack competitor from Google. It's interesting because Google Chat has always existed. But not in this format. Yes, but not in this format. And I actually remember back in the day when we were at Hypebeast, before we moved on to Slack, everyone just Google chatted each other constantly. Yeah. Like in the little pop-ups at the bottom of your email. And so if you like looked over at anyone's screen at any time, it was just like a ton of Google chat boxes overlaid over their email. Yeah. That's how he communicated. And I didn't really like it. Oh, no, no. It was rubbish. Yeah. You know what's interesting about this study on why people don't let coworkers help them? You can also think of it as like why people don't help their coworkers. And what would that be? I don't know the exact content of their survey, like how they like 
in the study what the poll questions really were. But those five key reasons people avoid being helped can also be like why people avoid helping other people. You know, you prefer to be self-reliant and complete your own work and you believe that they should too. Like you should, you believe that other people should be self-reliant yeah. and complete their own work. You want to protect your own image. You don't want to advance someone else's image. Yeah. And I, if, yeah. if that becomes a case, I think it's a, a big issue in the company culture. That's true. Because it, it's interesting that everything we've talked about now is actually applicable to the first topic we also started off yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you perce- perceive to be normal? What you perceive to be normal and also how do you activate a greater sort of contingency of people yeah. around an idea versus an individual's own personal beliefs. Right. I mean, I think the end of this study also mentions that, that it's very dangerous if in a company you start rewarding people who neither ask for help or help others. And that furthers the idea that it's um like a each man for themselves yeah. sort of place. Yeah. Thinking of like, you know, that the whole project you guys are doing next week at, with Art Hong Kong, like Art Basel's mm-hmm. Hong Kong version. That's not possible unless you guys are given the responsibility and given the confidence to execute it. You know what I mean? I think, I don't know how you personally feel about it. Like I would never want it to be like, oh, I have to do it because Eugene told me to do it, even though he won't be there. Like I want it to be a genuine interest on your guys' part. And I also want you to shape it. Mm. to how you feel it should be not like okay well eugene might have some eugene and alex might have some sort of parameters that are more more brand related than anything less about like it needs to look and feel like this Mm -hmm. it has to be like that it's Mm -hmm. more like hey this is like the underlying way and how it should be run and then you guys take and run with it like how do you feel when someone comes to you asking for help which i've done you know increasingly Mm -hmm. and do you feel that there's a difference between the type of work it's one thing for me to ask you to take out the trash it's another thing for me to ask you to strategize something that is more challenging well you've never asked me to take out the trash no one i use that as an example because it's like a more clear the air i think everyone in this office takes out their own trash done it at some point Uh uh-huh um in our particular environment I think it's very clear to each of us. And maybe it's the way that you and Alex have set the things up is that it's very clear to each of us that we have to help each other and get help from each other a a lot because we all do everything and we're all involved in everything essentially. Um, Given a small team dynamic is what we currently have. mm -hmm. How do you take that and how do you level up? Because I would say that in general, what we put out in like our output exceeds what the team is currently allocated in terms of resources. Yeah. And I think that's the general perception as well as like, I remember Alex a few, a few months ago when he was in New York, people were kind of surprised how, how small the team was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's a lot of yeah. maybe, I mean, you on a quantitative standpoint, yeah, you're not putting out a ton, but in terms of that sort of intersection of balance and quali- quantity, I think it's there. I think we still quantitatively put out a lot of work for the amount of people that we are. Yeah. But that also comes down to a mix of organizational strategy. Like how do you strategize? (laughs) How do you, this sounds so stupid. How do you strategize around like the whole workflow and organization, Mm -hmm. whether it's assets, whether it's like who's in charge of what, who's, who's responsible for what and 
honestly buy into the belief that, hey, we're all in this to achieve the larger goal, Mm -hmm. which it's interesting because like I've always been fascinated about how to activate your team and and whatnot. And like, I think there's a difference between when you can write the whole system yourself versus when you're kind of like carrying out someone else's beliefs, like a middle manager versus a founder. Like those are two similar, but very different roles. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have really a middle management layer right now at Macon. No. Right. It's kind of like me working with you guys. So what's fascinating there is like, how do you get people excited and involved and I'm still thinking about your question because you were asking me oh how do I feel when you ask me for help with stuff and I think it always boils down so far well first I trust your judgment in terms of like what you're asking me to do and then it boils down to like do I have the time to do this (laughs) usually because I think you're quite good about asking me to do things that I want to do but it's like do I actually have the time an ability to do this in like a reasonable timeline, like, right. Or, and if I can't, then I have to just say that I cannot, um, which has happened. Right. Um, and then I'm also thinking about like, what do you feel when you have to ask people for help? Do you not think I, about it? I used to hate it. Mm-hmm. I used to hate it. I used to feel like, Oh, you know what? Like I should do it. Mm-hmm. But now now that you understand what the bigger mission or bigger goal is, and I think that's the one thing that if you get too stuck in the weeds, you you lose sight of that. You might feel as though like, hey, you know what? I should be responsible for more things because the, all, the balance is always, well, is my time being used effectively? Mm-hmm. As in, is this a job that someone else can do? Mm-hmm. And if they can do it, will they derive value from it? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's an important way of looking at it. Now that I, I, I ask people for help when necessary, I, I used to think that, Hey, you know what? This person might, and this is a very immature way of looking at it, but this person might come to loathe me because I asked for a favor or asked for help. Oh, that's how I used to be. But now it's like, you know what? Asking for help is almost like a mini sort of checklist ongoing in my head of keeping tabs of people's capabilities of scaling up of taking on more right. responsibilities right so there's like an internal sort of like thing going on in my mind mm-hmm. hey you know what Sharice, mm-hmm. elphic or nathan are scaling up and they're able to handle more things and they're doing it very well so why not start increasing you know their responsibilities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that obviously opens up the doors for a lot of things mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm. it's more compensation whether it's like it's you know different projects being brought to the table, et cetera, et cetera. I was doing some soul searching as to why I don't ask people for help. Like, Does this help elucidate barrier like, to me? Why, why you would ask someone for help? I mean... Because here, let me ask you this. Yes. Based on what you want to achieve, if you can only achieve it with one person's work, how big or lofty is it really? Right, it's not. But I have a... I mean, I know this about myself is that I like to be in control of the outcome of things. And I tend to have faith in my own execution. Mm -hmm. So often when I don't ask people for help, I don't, I don't want to say it's that I think coworkers are incompetent or that I think other people are incompetent. It's just that I know that I know how I would complete this and I can picture that. And so it's just a known factor vs. when you ask someone, it becomes an unknown factor. Correct. But I've also realized that if the briefing is correct, if the way you brief someone is good, yeah, be open yeah. for surprises. Yeah. 
Because that's the one thing that I was always fearful of too. Yeah. Right. And I think that it does take a little bit of experience to assess whether, you know, this person is capable of taking on this job. Like that's just managerial experience. Like it's kind of like, you know, are you going to bring this guy into the game to shoot the game winning shot when he's not the, he's not even close to being at that level? You don't. Yeah. But sometimes you don't know. Cause like maybe there is a small chance he has been practicing on his own outside of what you've seen and he's capable. Oh, I think that's valid. Yeah. But I think that's the thing is that this skill of communicating your vision so it can be executed to your standing is something you should start earlier rather than later because it's not easy. It's very no, difficult to so. take like a concept in your mind and bring it to the real world. I think world you're also getting to like the second reason why sometimes I might be resistant to asking people for help is if I know that in order to ask them to help me properly, I have to invest time in like guiding them to help me accurately. And I don't want to put that time into doing that. I'm just being honest. I, I heard this really good analogy for that. My I'm, thought I'm, process. I'm the king of analogies, as Alex would say. There is an, like, you know, there is an existing analogy for this, what? right? Give a man a fish and you feed him oh, for yeah, a same, day. Same Teach thing. a man a fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Something another way like looking that. at it. But I don't, yeah. don't you feel like there's a certain responsibility for you to like bring people along? Um, I mean, in the making context now, yeah. yes, there yeah. is. But previously as a freelancer, I was autonomous. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I'm still a freelancer in some regards, but like not at Macon where I am a team player. Yeah. So, and previous in other team capacities, I have obviously worked as a team person. Yeah. Do you think there's a way to facilitate a more open dialogue with coworkers to let them know that, hey, you know what, those five factors that people often have running in the back of their mind? don't need to be considered or you can throw them out the table. I think the most dangerous of these factors is the idea that doing things on your own protects your own image and protects you from sabotage from other coworkers. I think that's a very dangerous way of thinking that must come from upper management. Like if you, if you are motivated, if your motivations in work are to protect yourself and avoid sabotage, then that really says something about how your company workplace culture, right? yeah, rewards good. Do you, do you think we do enough of that? Do you think we do enough to let people know that it's okay to ask for help? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, I think the, if there is a, not, I don't think it's like a runaway problem, but I think if there is a problem, it's that we all work very hard. And I think we're all cognizant of the fact that there's not like a lot of room for error or taking time off. Essentially that we all understand that there are limited resources. And so we're always expected to be like full on, but it doesn't mean we're like full on alone. Like I do think there's a culture of like, we're all helping each other move forward. It's just that it'd be nice if there were more of us. Yeah. But it's, that is, the situation is what it is right yeah i think that's a good place to wrap things up if you are interested in learning more about macon and our membership opportunities which include exclusive content a members only slack channel and weekly briefings which making it up is based off of you can head over to macon.com there you can also listen and read to more of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture 
And if you really like this podcast, do us a big favor and give us a review on iTunes. It's really helpful. And I think it's it goes a long ways towards the discovery process. And that's something I talked to Trent a lot, actually, is how do you improve the quote unquote social nature of audio content? Mm. Actually, something that we have seen a lot of people do lately is share screen caps of them listening to making or making it up on IG stories or even videos of them listening to us, which is great. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, that's actually really dope. Yeah. Isn't it you? Oh, wait. It's you. I'm Eugene. (laughs) Sorry, it's been so long I forgot what the order was. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.